0: Good morning. I don't think everybody said that. By now you're like, I know it's a good morning. Um, We are in a series called Tend. And um, we're going to be in John 15. So if you have your Bibles, let's just go ahead and turn there. We're going to go quickly into that. But as you're turning, I actually just want to talk about the Bible for a moment. The Bible is the words of God, it is timeless, it is true, it is relevant for every season, every point in history, every person. It doesn't get old, it doesn't lose its power. This thing is yes and amen forever, amen? Amen. And we are a people who say we are going to center our lives around the words of God. What he says is true. And there are also times when certain scriptures or certain words jump up and like hit us across the face in a way you're like, whoa, I needed that right now. Have you ever had those moments? So there's the timeless Word of God, and then there's moments where there are timely words of God, when you're going, wow, God, how did you know I needed that today? And the reason why we're in this series called Tend is because John 15 has been what I would describe as a timely Word of God for us as a people. It's something God has been speaking consistently to us. As a staff, we've had many meetings disrupted by the Lord when we're sitting there doing business as usual or however you want to describe it. And God's presence fills the office meeting. And all of us are on the ground undone by his presence over John 15. And that's happened multiple times in the last number of weeks. And we're like, there's something God has for us as a people. And so we've allowed God, as we should, to interrupt us. And we've had to put a pause on what we were doing and say, hey, we've got to discuss this as a family. And so uh, I'm going to pick up where Travis left off, but Travis preached uh, John 15 verses 1 through 8, and then today I'm going to start in verse 9, and we're going to go through verse 17. Does that sound good? Got your word with you? Here we go. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. and so, that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. In this passage, what we're doing is, I'm just going to give a little bit of context, but what's happening here is John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, those four chapters, theologians like to call this the farewell discourse. So what's happening is, as Jesus is in the upper room, he's with now 11, not 12, because Judas has already left to go to portray Jesus. So it's after the last supper and they're still hanging out and Jesus gives this long discourse, this long talk about, Hey, I'm about to go die in which they're totally not getting, it's not computing, but he's like, this is the last thing I want to tell you before I go. So think about that and just that weight of context. This is the burden on the Lord's heart as he's about to leave his followers, his disciples. He's like, man, this is what's going to make you, this is going to help you make it for the long haul. You need to understand these things. You need to have these things so that you'll be able to weather life as it moves forward, as I'm about to go die on the cross. So that's the context of what's happened is this, this farewell discourse. And so in John 15, specifically, what we're studying, what God's been speaking, Travis shared last week verses 1 through 8, in which he talked about a couple of different principles. One is that it is impossible to bear fruit absent of being connected to God. It's impossible. Anything that's going to last, let's say it that way, you might meet someone who doesn't know the Lord, that they're kind and they have some good attributes, but even then I would, do, I would go as far as to say that's still just God being kind to them and giving them the grace to do that. Because sin really is restrictive and, and sin really does lead to death. But God in his mercy, he's the one who allows us to bear fruit. So it's impossible that it actually says we can do nothing apart from him. That's how it's it's described. And then he goes on and he says that the purpose of all of this fruit that we bear actually isn't even for our good, but it's for his glory. And I want to tell you right now, you were made for a purpose and that purpose was to glorify God. And so when you're going through life and everybody's like, I just don't know why I'm here. I don't know what my purpose is. And we have different seasons. I'm telling you the greatest question to ask is God, the next thing I decide, which decision most glorifies you. And that's going to be the right answer. Because you were made to glorify Jesus with your life. We were called to it. It's unto his glory that we bear fruit. And then the third thing that Travis spent time on, and it was the majority of his sermon, was about how pruning isn't punishment, but it's promotion. Can you say that? Pruning isn't punishment, but promotion. you got to say that to yourself because sometimes I don't quite feel like that. Right? And that was the whole conversation last week was, man, sometimes it feels like God's you know, narrowing the path for me and making it harder for me and some of the ways that I have to go. Like it just feels like a narrower road. But the promise of walking with Jesus is that it is a narrow road. The world is a wide one. Walking with Jesus is a narrow one. And so you, you'll feel that pruning, but it really is the kindness of God and it's the love of God that He does it. As I was preparing for this morning, I was, I was praying for you guys. And I had this picture in my mind of this tree and it was weighted down. All the branches were weighted down. It was almost like touching the ground. It was like this very burdened, heavy tree. And I was like, God, like, what are you, what are you speaking about that? And God goes, well, I, I prune you so that you, will, you can be light. I prune off the weight of the world off of you. So sometimes what feels like unkindness, like, oh God, like, do you really have to deal with that issue in my heart or that relationship or that situation? It's his kindness that gives us a lightness of spirit that he cuts away the dead things and he prunes back things that need to bear more fruit. Uh, Just last week, we had a pretty massive haboob. I don't know if you noticed that, but we had a pretty big storm going through and there was trees all over the place on the ground. And the the interesting thing was just before that, three days prior, I was at my in-law's house and on their street, when you pull out to their street, there's this large tree and it's extending out over the road and it goes like 15, 20 feet over, just reaching out over the tree. And there was a gentleman out there and he was pruning the tree. And I even made a comment where I said, oh man, I I bet he has to do that often or that tree's not going to be able to withstand the weight. Of, of, of being able to, to lean out like that. And then when we went through that haboob, I drove over to my parents' house and the tree was still standing. And so what I wanna say is storms are gonna come and life is going to happen. And if we resist the pruning of God, we won't be able to withstand the winds. The weight of our baggage that we don't let him deal with will pull us down. Does that make sense? So it is his kindness that he cuts away the things that are harming us, the things that are hurting us, the things that aren't glorifying him, and even pruning back things that are bearing fruit so that they might bear more fruit so that when the storms come, as the Bible teaches, it's not if, but when, we can remain standing. Amen? So it is the love of God that he does that. It's this kindness. And that's why it makes sense that the next verse, as we pick up in verse nine of John 15, it says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. This is, sometimes we can just read things so quickly and move past and not like let it sink in. But this is outrageous. What Jesus is saying right here is the perfect, unadulterated love that the father has with the son and the son has with the father is the same love, same quantity, same potency, same full force that he has for us. We don't get leftovers, guys. Amen. It's not like, sometimes I think that. I'm like, oh, like, yeah, the, the Trinity has this perfect thing going. And then what he gives to us is kind of like, whatever's left over from his compassion fatigue. You know, I don't know, if you ever heard of compassion fatigue? It's a term like in the, in the counseling world, but it's, you, you sit with people all day and you love with people and you, and you work with people through their pains and their hurts. And sometimes therapists, as good as they are, they start to get compassion fatigue because it's like, I just have so much to offer and I'm exhausted, right? God doesn't get compassion fatigue for you. His love, the same love that the father has for the son, the son has for the father, it remains on towards you all the time. That is, thank you, Jesus. Amen. And it's unconditional. There's no contingencies. It's freely given. And so this is like an offensive reality that we have to wrestle through. First, it's the, the first wrestle is when we give life, our life to Jesus It's through salvation. So for those in this room, this is the big hurdle. If you don't know Jesus that you have to get over is that God loves you in spite of all your junk. Like, in, in, in spite of your sin and your miscoming and your missteps, and, and not just mistakes, like sometimes, say, oh, I made a mistake. No, the intentional decisions of rebellion that we've all made, God loves us through it all. I mean, Romans even goes far to say, is where sin abounds, grace abounds. And He is able to love us through that, and He doesn't resist us because of His love, right? But even for the believers in the room, there is this subtle creep that starts to happen where as we walk with Jesus, we have this starting to believe this thought that I have to continue to earn the love of the Father. That somehow his love is starting to diminish in some weird way towards me. That he is maybe mildly disappointed or even disgusted with me because I'm not as good of a Christian as I think I should be. And I'm telling you right now, that's not the gospel in the Bible. Now, God wants us to be free from sin. He wants to prune our lives and cut away sin and dead things. And he wants to prune back things so they can bear more fruit. But it's always motivated by an unconsistent or uh, unchanging, consistent, unwavering love towards you. It is not hindering in his love towards you. He is full bore. Yes and amen, I love you. And somebody just needs to hear that today because condemnation has been weighing you down and you've been beating yourself up and the voice of of the enemy is whispering in your ear saying, see, you're not good enough. And even, you even claim to love God. And he's going, I still love you. It doesn't change. My love remains, so remain in my love. He's inviting it back towards you, so remain in my love. Romans 5.8 says it this way, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that good news? I mean, that gives me such peace and hope when I know how imperfect I really am and how perfect his love is towards me is so encouraging. So it then continues in verse 10 of John 15. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. So he's saying here, the way to remain in my love that is always for you is obey me. Obey my commands. That is how you show that you are drawing near and remaining in my love. So I wanna emphasize something. What this is not saying is if you disobey me, I will no longer love you. And I think that's a lot of times how we perceive God. Like I messed up and now his his love is just diminished. It's like this, you see like this power bar and it just keeps dropping 80%, 60%, 40%. We're going, oh man, I need to get my acting gear. His love is is dwindling on me. And that's just not what the Bible teaches. But what this does say is if you obey me, then you are choosing to remain in the unending, always available love. So, what I'm trying to say is this we will reject God, we will disobey God, we will abandon God, and then we'll point fingers and accuse him for why he feels so far away. Does that make sense? We will turn our back and he loves us. He's never stopping. It's always available. It's always pouring out towards us, but yet we turn away from it. And then we say, you seem so far, God. Like, why don't you love me? And he's like, turn around. Like, I'm right here, right? Like he desires to draw us close. And the thing is, is we don't have to go like make up a bunch of ground, He's not sitting there saying, okay, now you got to fix this, this, and this, and this, and then you'll be remaining back in my love. He's like, the moment you acknowledge me is the moment you are making yourself available to receive all that I have for you. The moment you could be mid-sin, in the act of sin, and you could cry out to God, and he will respond with love and affection and healing power. Isn't that amazing? Like, we, we love to beat ourselves up to really feel bad about something, before we can like actually allow him to love us and receive us. But that's the world's paradigm, not the kingdom paradigm. Right? Okay, now, you know, really show that you're sorry. Grovel a little bit longer, please. And that's just not what God makes us do. He is so kind. He's so faithful to us. He does not reject us. And he always makes himself available to us. He goes on in verse 11. He says, I've told you this. I've told you to remain in my love. I've told you to obey my commands. And he says, I've told you these things so that my joy may be be in you and that your joy may be complete. He's trying to tell us, you want to experience joy? Remain in my love. How do you remain in my love? Just obey me. Just agree with me. Walk with me. Don't reject me. Don't turn away. Come close to me and your joy will be complete. This word joy here in, in Greek is kata, and it's an extreme gladness. Who needs some extreme gladness in life right now? I do, I can tell you right now, I'm, sign me up. Uh, what about supernatural peace? How about a calm in chaos? How about an experience of delight in God? Or even better, it says his delight in us. I've been meditating on this word delight and. Uh, It really is a beautiful word because it's an outward expression of real love. Like if my six-year-old, like this morning, came and woke me up way too early, um, you know, comes in the room and I'm like, yeah, buddy, I love you. Go away. Like, you know, like I'm not delighting in him, right? And I choose not to do that as his father. He comes in and I'm tired, but I'm going, you know, wiping the crusties. I'm like, hey, buddy, how are you? What do you need? I love you. What's going on? You know, I choose to delight in him and I want him to see my delight so that he knows my love. And God is like, I have so much delight in you that I wanna show you, but you gotta face me. You can't shift your gaze away. You gotta turn and you gotta gotta look right at me and let me look right back at you and let me delight in you. But if you don't remain in my love, you're missing the opportunity of a joy, a supernatural gladness, a peace in the midst of, 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 of chaos, a calming that he wants to provide us. This is what he has. And I even love it, it says, my joy. So what's cool is it's not like we have to muster up our joy, but what God does, is says the joy that I have, which the Bible says he was um, more joyful. The Bible says in Hebrews, I believe it is, that he's more joyful than any man who ever walked the earth, speaking of Jesus. So that's pretty cool reputation to have. And now he's saying in this passage, my joy is gonna be made complete in you. I'm gonna give you what I experience of life and life to the full, and I'm gonna give it to you. This is what God wants to give in the midst of trial, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of anything in life. We've got to remain in him. We've got to press into him. And I'm telling you right now, obeying Jesus is worth it. Because not only does it prevent us from calamity and sin and pain, but it also gives us in exchange joy and peace and calm. Things that our heart longs for. So, we're called to remain in the vine. That's John fifteen one through eight. Remain in me. It glorifies me and it's for your good. And then he says, what you're doing when you're doing that is you're actually experiencing my love and I'm asking you to remain in my love. And then he says, how you do that is you obey my command. So if you obey me, then you remain in my love. So then the next logical question is, what is the command? Like, okay, God, what am I obeying that I might remain in your love? What does this look like? And it's verse 12, it's the very next verse. It says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Hold on, God. You just like totally shifted here and I wasn't kind of ready for it Um, because you were doing this like vertical thing where like you love me and I love you and we're having this love fest and it's so good, you know, cushy and cotton candy like, you know. And then all of a sudden you went horizontal. And you're saying that to remain in your love I have to obey your command. And your command is I have to love other people. You just went this way. And I wasn't quite ready for this. I was enjoying this. This feels good. This, this is complicated, right? Don't judge me. You know that I'm right, right? We're like, okay, what's going on here, Lord? And he just does that. And doesn't this sound familiar? This is a mantra he says multiple times throughout his ministry. This is a theme of God's heart where he starts talking about, oh, no, you've got to love one another. In Matthew 22, there's a situation where Jesus has been preaching in synagogues, and there's a bunch of Sadducees and Pharisees. These are religious leaders, and they're the uppity-ups and snobbity snobs. okay? And they think they know better than everybody else, and they love to, like, debate on theology and all these things. And so Jesus is there one day, and they're having a back and forth and Jesus is actually, so he's God. So he's pretty dang smart. And so as they're like debating, Jesus like silences the Sadducees. Like they, they ask him a question, then he answers and they're like, oh, that was good. And they don't, have, they don't have a retort for it. They're like, oh, dang it. Right? So that's what we're picking up. We're going to look at Matthew 22, verse 34. So it says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the other religious people got together. And one of them, an expert in the law. So the law is the first five books of the Bible. It's the Torah. Okay, and that was what the Old Testament Jews, that's what they had. That was their scripture. That was their doctrine. And in that, there was literal laws. There was 600 and I think 16, if I'm remembering correctly, rules that they had to obey by to be in right standing with God. And so these Sadducees and Pharisees, they were giving their life to memorizing and obeying 600 and plus 16 or so laws. You know how oppressive that is? You know, like, I can't obey like three or four things in a row. Like my memory is so short. When we preach, they tell you to only give people three things to respond to. You know, could you imagine 616? Okay, pull out your notebook, you know, number 257. You know, like it'd be overwhelming, right? And that's the reality of these people. And they're living out of the way. And then they have the pride to think that they're mastering it, that they're actually achieving success and doing all this. And so that's the law. So there's this expert in the law. So he's like one of the head Pharisees, one of the best known, reliable Pharisees to actually know and obey the law. And he goes to him and he tests him speaking to Jesus. And he asks this question, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And I, I, picture in my mind the scenario. They're in this synagogue and they're surrounded in a circle and you know Jesus is kind of on the on the chopping block and they're really trying to get him. You know, he's like almost like on a court case kind of vibe and he has to defend himself. And they ask him this question, oh yeah, what's the most out of all these laws, what's the most important one? And then responding, loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. I could imagine they're like, oh yeah, like, okay, cough clap. That's He got it right. He got it right. You know, that was a pretty good answer, you know. But then Jesus being Jesus, who always says, hey, the bar actually isn't down here, and it's not right here. He keeps like raising the bar of what walking with Jesus looks like. He takes it up a notch and he says, oh, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. When they heard this, I could imagine jaws dropping. Like, hold on, what? Because they've made their career and their life on the fact that they've looked down their nose at everybody else. They're the religious leaders and everybody else is little minions, you know, just like kind of in the way, little peons, get out of the way, right? Like we are the religious leaders and and they would wear fancy clothes and they'd walk around and they would, you know, just kind of consume with pride. And all of a sudden Jesus says, yeah, the way you've been doing it is completely wrong. Because specifically in that verse 39, it says, and the second is like it. That word like it in Greek is homoios, homoios which means equivalent to, unseparated, like you can't parcel it out. So I jokingly call it the peanut butter and jelly of the kingdom. It's meant to be together. So what he is saying here is you can't say that you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul and say that you don't love people. It's impossible. You've just separated something that can't be separated. And you can't say, if you're in this room and you say, like, I don't know about Jesus. I don't really know if I love God, but I love people. I'm here to tell you, like the Bible teaches that you actually don't fully love people well. Because that's actually imperfect because to love people well, you have to love God. These things are simultaneously happening. This horizontal remaining in his love is worked out in our obedience to the command to love one another. You following me? This is how we live as believers this is why the church should be radically different because that means we don't have excuse not to love. And we can think of a lot of reasons for division. We can think of a lot of reasons for disunity, hurt feelings and different theologies and, you know, that, what name it, political stuff, all the garbage that is just spewing out of the world today. And it can be so many reasons why we don't unify and we don't love. And Jesus seems to say, I don't care. He says, if you want to remain in my love, if you want a joy that overflows, if you want a peace in the midst of crazy storms, if you want to experience my delight, obey my command, love one another as I've loved you. This is crazy. And then he goes, okay, so here's the bar that they set. Here's the bar I just told you. And then he goes, oh, let's make it even a little higher. Because in verse 13 of John 15, he says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. So, okay, Jesus, like, I can, like, smile and say, how you doing? Having a good day? And I can, you know, for those closest to me, I can, you know, maybe help out. But, like, you're, you're actually asking for a costly love. A sacrificial Love. Guys, it's one thing to love people who think like you and even like look like you or feel similar about things than you. But when you are in conflict with somebody, when you become disinterested in someone's opinions, you can ultimately become disinterested in them and you can dismiss them. And when you do that, you break from what God's intention is for your relationship with that person. Like it is hard to love people when there's lots of reasons for offense, for frustration, fill in the blank. And yet God is saying, actually, not only am I calling you to love them, but I'm wanting you to love them at, a, at a, an extent that it costs you something. But you know what's so beautiful about that? That's when we look like Jesus. Because he does not tell us to do a single thing he doesn't do himself. He loves us at an extent that it cost him something. He doesn't give cheap love away. So we don't receive cheap love from him. So that, that means that we don't actually have cheap love to give out. We receive costly love, and that means that we have costly love to give freely away. First John, John writes in... In his book, he, he kind of emphasizes this in another way in verse or chapter 3, verse 16 it says, This is how we know what love is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. A word of the Lord, another kind of timely word that we feel like God was speaking, isn't just this 10 word right now of John 15, but for the year of 2023, for the entire Antioch movement, all. U.S. churches all overseas teams have been praying and, and meditating and, and seeking God, interceding into Ephesians chapter 4 on the word of unity. We feel like this is, this, the phrase we've been using is, it's the Mount Everest of the church. Meaning, if we would actually humble ourselves, love one another, bear with one another in such a way that we work to a place of unity, the church is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. Because we can choose to see the value and the God image bearing person in front of us on every single face and not the differences and not the excuses and not the hurts. There's places of healing and and forgiveness and intimacy that we work through as a people that unify in such a way God's like, I can do anything with that church. And so we've been praying this in like crazy, this Ephesians four word. And in Ephesians four verses two and three, it actually even spells out how to do this. It says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Humility is required. It's not optional. Because it even says be completely humble. That sounds near impossible. But that's the aim. God, humble me. Like, not my will, but your will be done. Your kingdom, your kingdom come on earth as it's about you, God, not about me and my desires, right? We just sang this. Did we mean it? Did it really stir our affections or just our emotions? Like, do we actually fall more in love with Jesus? as a all of that song saying, God, I surrender again, whatever you wanna say, whatever you wanna do. I'm gonna be humble, not my will, but your will be done. And then, not even that, but now I'm getting pushed down the line, God, Others. <laughs> How do I love other people more than myself? How do I prefer other people more than myself? How do I not think highly of myself higher than I ought to? Man, a humble church is a powerful church. And then a gentle church. Wow, gentle church. We aren't reactive. In the midst of offense, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of pain, we don't give it back. It's so hard not to sin in response to other people's sin. It is so hard. Right? Like that hurt. I'm gonna, you know, no, pull back, right? I'm not gonna be a reactionary person to you, but instead, I'm gonna be a responder to God. And in His perfect love, as I remain in Him, fills my heart. I'm then gonna love you in response, because I'm not gonna love you according to how you treat me. I'm gonna love you according to how He treats me. What a game changer! That's gentle. That's not reactionary. That's not abusive. That's not controlling and manipulative. That is. That is kind. That is meek. It is lowly. It is gentle. And then he says, "Bearing, uh, being patient." I don't want to skip that one. <laughs> being patient—that means as other people aren't getting it or whatever in the scenario, you're not like losing patience and moving on. Because it is so easy just to say, "You know what? I've tried. I'm washing my hands and I'm moving away from this." But the problem is, is when you do that, you end up missing so much intimacy because conflict begets intimacy. And intimacy begets conflict because you're getting closer in relationship with others. But then if you respond in humility and gentleness, it begets more intimacy. That's how marriages thrive. You know, if I've gotten a fight with my wife and just said, you know what, I just need space from you, and I just totally cut her off, like we wouldn't be able to work through our problems. And it wouldn't produce intimacy. And it's not real connection. But it's in the conflict that I say, I'm gonna humble myself, I'm gonna be gentle. I want to be patient and learn from you and I want you to learn from me and we're going to come together. And then it says bearing with one another in love. That means that bearing means that there's going to be something have to bear through. It just means it's reality. There are going to be offenses and issues and things that come up that's going to be hard and God's saying, I want you to bear through it in love. I want you to choose one another, prefer one another. So sacrificial love is the path to a unified people. Sacrificial love is the path to a unified people. And God's asking us, will we be willing to be those people that sacrificially love one another even when it gets challenging? And my commitment to you is, yes, I will. I'm not saying I'm gonna do it perfect. I might have to apologize a whole lot. But I'm in, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm gonna love the bride. And I want you to love it with me. What's so interesting is as I, as I was processing this, this discourse from God in the upper room with these 11 disciples and he's sitting there telling them this, I imagine it felt almost like a blanket of like weight. It's going, hey guys, you need to love people if you want to remain in my love. And they're sitting there going, Jesus, like, do you not know who your audience is in this moment? We're Jews. And we're like not successful Jews. We're commoners, right? Like our life and all of our ancestry has been persecuted and hunted down from the beginning of our people group. And you're telling me to love everybody? Like, do you not get it? Like, Jesus, this is really hard what you're telling me to do right now. I have good reasons why not to love, is what they're saying, right? But then Jesus, what he does is he's so gentle and it's, he pivots here. And I want us to catch, catch this. He goes in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for, something, for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. Have you ever been in a, in a relationship with somebody that you have a dual relationship? Like maybe they're like a boss and a friend. Have you ever had that relationship? So have you ever had a conflict or a conversation with that friend where all of a sudden they're like, hey, like I'm taking off my boss hat for a moment and we're just gonna be friends, Right? <laughs> And they just want to talk like on a relational level. That's basically what Jesus is doing with his disciples right here. He's like, yeah, I'm the king of the universe. (laughs) I am master and Lord, but I'm going to just kind of put that aside for a moment. And I want you to know that we are actually friends. And I'm not saying this as a Lord telling his servant, do what I say. I'm doing it as a friend to another friend saying, this really is your best. Like your joy will be complete if you learn to love people. And they're going, oh, but it's so hard. And he's like, yeah, but as a friend to a friend, you need to know this. This is my best for you. You really do need to learn to love one another. And then he continues. He says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. This word choose here throws out, shows up multiple times in the New Testament in different ways, but it literally means like he selected them, which we know. It uses this word in Luke chapter 6 when it says that he chose and appointed them to be his disciples. And he went out and said, hey, I want you to come follow me and learn of my ways. And now he's bringing that back up right now and he's saying, remember how I I asked you to follow me? That I, 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 I actually approached you long before you approached me and said, I want to teach you how to walk in the things of the kingdom. This is the kingdom. This is it. Loving God and loving people is the kingdom. So if you want to experience the kingdom as a friend, listen, this is how you bear fruit and that fruit that remains, fruit that lasts And he says, and then he he keeps going. And so that whatever you ask in the name of the Father, it'll be given to you. Because when you learn to love people and you let God change your heart, your heart will start to desire what God's does. So he doesn't have to resist your request, but he's like, yeah, what's on your heart, let's go for it because you're submitted to the leadership and the the mastery of Jesus over your heart and life and the way that you love God and the way that you love people. He can trust you with your requests. Don't you wanna be someone God can trust? I sure do. I want him to be able to trust me with anything. But if I am not remaining in him, if I'm rejecting his love, if I'm not learning to love him and then love other people, I'm gonna gonna be resisted by God in that way. And then he kind of just puts a period on, he says in verse 17, this is my command, love each other. As I was praying through this and be honest with you, wrestling through this, because I mean, it's in some regards, yes, this is like, Bible 101. We love God. We love people, right? But it's one thing to be able to come here and talk about it. It is like black diamond skiing level to actually do this stuff. Like to really love people when it's costly, when you are hurt, when you are angry, when it is, you have legitimate grounds for why you were upset and you were tempted to turn the love off in in the process. Right? And I'm like, God, I don't like, this is hard. Yes, it's one-on-one, but this is like, if we could just learn this, we might be able to do anything. If we can just get this done as a church, as a people. And God's like, well, you know, I, had, I modeled it for you. And I'm like, well, what you, of course you did. You went to the cross. He's like, even in the, even in the room, like it, what, even in the upper room, he's like, this is my farewell discourse. This is what I'm telling disciples, what they need to make of the long haul. You realize an hour before this talk, Judas was in the room with me and I knew exactly what he was about to do. He goes, so much so that when he showed up to have the last supper with me and break the bread and drink the wine with me, I put a towel around my waist and I got on my knees and I washed Judas' feet, knowing good and well what he was about to do and harming me. It's one thing to love somebody when they do something horrible, but a premeditated thing Right, God help us. And yet Jesus models for us. He is humble towards Judas. He's, he washes his feet. He's gentle. He's not passive aggressive. He's not like rubbing a hole in his foot. Right? You know, I'd be doing that. I'd be like, "What you get?" You know. He's patient with him. He bears with him through the evening. he he, he breaks the bread and he offers it to him as well. like, wow, if we want to see the world saved, we've got to love different. We've got to look different. Like if we want to see the world have hope, like we have hope in Jesus, we've got to embody that hope, not just in this sweet love, you know, jacuzzi between us and God, and it feels so warm and fuzzy, but it has to manifest in the horizontal in the way that we choose to love people around us, especially when it's costly, especially when there's reasons for offense. I mean, this is what God's after. A healed and healthy church that has the ability to, to cut away the dead things of bitterness, cut away the deep things of the, the deep shade of purple that we turn when people hurt our feelings, the resentments, the religion garbage from our past that is not Jesus, but it's just people and their junk being put on us, right? the misunderstandings and the, the broken marriages and fathers and sons and sons and fathers and daughters and mothers and mothers and daughters, like all the family dynamics. God is saying, let me prune you church. This is now verse one through 17 together. And God's saying, I wanna prune you so that you can love people and bear the weight of the world as it comes against you. And it cannot be held where it'll hold you down. The Bible says that the, gay, the, the church of God is going to advance. This is his promise. And it says the gates of hell can't prevail against it. But that is a church who has their gaze and their face shifted towards God, not away from him. It's one who remains in his love, not turns away from it. And I just, my prayer for us this morning is it's a morning of healing. It's a morning of God, I've been holding on to this thing and I feel it weighing me down for so long. I'm gonna give you permission to prune me today. I wanna lay that down at the altar. And I'm even gonna say, let's stand right now. Let's go ahead and just get right into it. Stand up with me. And uh, ministry team, if you wanna come on forward, go ahead and come on forward. But this is how it's gonna work. If you know God is doing work with you, respond right now. Like even, even in this very moment, just come forward and get on your knees if you need to. If you want prayer from somebody, if there's someone in this room you need to reconcile with, Go reconcile and humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love. Let's contend to be the church that gets healing and wholeness. But I just, I I imagined, I just kind of pictured God and he's taking his shears and he's pruning back things that he wants to grow and more fruit. But I really felt like tonight was, there was people coming in and they're just, it's like these, just the, the branches, these dead branches are just weighing them down. And it's just life. It's life experiences that have hurt and harmed them. Some of it was their own doing. Some of it was done to them. And God's like, you don't have to walk around carrying that anymore. I wanna set you free today. And so I'm gonna pray and the band's gonna lead us, but I just want us to do business with Jesus so that we can love like Jesus loves. Be set free and experience the joy that God has, joy that makes us complete. So, God, I pray that right now. I pray that very thing that today is a day of healing. Today is a day of deliverance. Today is a day of freedom. And we give you permission, God, to come and cut away things, things that we've been holding on to as a right because we were hurt. And God, we let go of it right now in Jesus' name. Today is a day of just being set free by you, God. Would you come and bring deliverance? Would you come and bring reconciliation? You are the great reconciler. You bring husbands and wives together. You bring children back to their parents, God. You bring, you bring in-laws together and you bring uh, cousins together and you bring friendships back together. God, you, you heal dynamics of toxic work culture because you put Christians in those environments and they love differently and it changes work cultures because they don't gossip and they don't slander, they don't join in in the garbage, but they learn to love through it all. God, would you come and just teach us how to be the church We wanna be the church that climbs the Everest, that unifies in such a way that we are unstoppable. And God, we do it in great humility and getting low, saying, God, we need you today. So would you lead us right now to places of healing and freedom in Jesus' name, amen.